uh, group of first graders got together and decided to write their own version of the birth of Christ. So the teacher allowed them to uh, write the script, pull together the characters, put together the scenery, and it all started. It was kind of more modern than the traditional drama, as you might expect. And as their version of the Christmas story opened, there were the usual members of the cast, Joseph, the shepherds, and an angel kind of propped up in the background. But Mary was nowhere to be seen. Suddenly, behind the bales of hay came some very loud noises. Evidently, Mary was in labor. (laughs) And soon the doctor arrived in a white coat with a stethoscope around his neck. Joseph, with a look of relief on his face, took the doctor straight to Mary and then started pacing back and forth across the front of the stage. After a couple minutes, the doctor emerged with a triumphant smile on his face and exclaimed, Congratulations, Joseph. It's a god. Well, I never imagined first graders would come up with something like that, but who would imagine that they would come up with something like that? I guess we need to cut them a little bit of slack. It certainly is a different take on the story, isn't it? Maybe we need to take a second look at this story. And so that's what we're kind of doing this month. We're unwrapping Christmas as if it was the first time we ever opened this gift from God. Maybe we can benefit from taking the second look that we need. So I encourage you last week, if you're here, to imagine that you had never heard Mary's story before, the story of the angel Gabriel coming to her to let her know that God had chosen her to be the mother of his son. I encourage you to go back, even in your own childhood, to that moment when the Christmas story completely captivated you for that first time. Wow, isn't this cool? And then I asked you to imagine living in a time way back in the distance, in a time before Christmas ever happened, in the time just before Jesus, God's Son, ever arrived in our world. So let's try to do that again today. Can we hear this for the first time? Can we even be part of those people anticipating? Because today we want to talk about this long-awaited Savior As I said last week, there was a 400-year gap in messages from God in between the Old Testament and the New Testament time. It doesn't mean that God was off on a journey and he wasn't really concerned what was going on on planet Earth. That's not the idea at all. Instead, he's waiting for the fullness of time when it would be right to bring his son Jesus into the world to save us. Mankind had generally turned a deaf ear to God. So God was also waiting for people to wake up, to start listening, start opening their hearts to him once again. 400 years is a long time to wait, isn't it? 400 years. None of us can even imagine that. None of us are ever going to live that long, obviously. So what is the longest you've ever waited for anything? You know, what what was that time period, you know, that you just really had your heart set on something, you were really anticipating something, and, and you just had to wait a long, long time? Now, I'm not talking about a day or two or maybe a week. I'm talking about years of time that you waited for something important in your life. And then finally it happened, and you decided, was it worth the wait, really? Was it worth all that time? Anticipation is a big thing. Waiting for something good to happen is a difficult thing to do, but it's an important thing to do. 
So I want us to think about anticipation a little bit today. You know, when I thought about the word anticipation, I remembered something that happened in my life where I waited a long time for something. When I was 14 years old, I wanted more than anything to be able to drive a car. I wanted to have a license and just go wherever I wanted to go with my parents' car. And I even thought maybe someday I'd have a car of my own. And at 14 years old, I wanted this driver's license so badly that I started doing everything I could to prepare for that. And I lived in Indiana. I asked my parents, you know, when do you have to, what age can you get your driver's license? Can you at least get your learner's permit? And it was 16 years old. That just seemed like an, an eternity away. So for two years, this time is dragging on and on. I'm counting the days. And I satisfied myself with the fact that my dad had bought us a driving lawnmower, or, you know, a riding lawnmower, because uh, we had a three acres. And I would take the mower deck off so it could go faster. And I would just ride around freely in the yard when dad wasn't around, of course, using up his gas and all. And I loved it when I could go over and stay at my friend Denny's house because he had a motorbike. I didn't have that. And we could go out on the street of his neighborhood and ride that thing all over the place. And I thought that was just what, what a blast. And then when I was 14, uh, my brother got me a job at the local golf course where he had worked. I never thought I'd be employed at 14, but the guy took me on to pull weeds and other things. And pretty soon, here I am driving their lawnmowers, which are even faster than my dad's. And even every once in a while, I got to drive a tractor. And then, lo and behold, one day, the boss shows up. He's got this old, dilapidated Ford LTD. He takes the trunk lid off, turns it into kind of a pickup truck, and he says, Here, John, now you can drive this around the golf course and do the things I want you to do. I thought, I'm driving a car on the golf course. It had three on the column. I mastered that pretty quickly, and I just thought it was so great. I would imagine myself, as I rode around the golf course, I'm driving a car wherever I want to go. This is my car. Well, it really wasn't. And so I was really excited about that. Well, the winter of my 15th year, about Christmas time, my dad changed jobs, and we changed, moved from Indiana all the way to Florida so he could start working for Honeywell. And I was sad to say goodbye to my lifelong friends, but I was also excited about moving to Florida where I would uh, have a little warmer weather and where my cousin Bill lived, who's about a year older than me. And as an added bonus, I found out as I was going there that the age you could get a learner's permit was 15 and a half, not 16. So I was ever so close to that, just a month or two away. And so I got my mom to take me to the DMV. We got the book, and I started pouring through the pages, learning everything about it. So on the day that I turned 15 and a half, I could go take that written test, and I could get my learner's permit, which I did. And immediately, I'm begging mom, take me out to drive. You know, dad's at work, but you find a way to get me out. And so we went out to nice, quiet little neighborhoods, and I started to learn how to drive this huge Pontiac Bonneville. You remember how big those things were? Man, this was, this was like driving a Greyhound bus. And it had power steering, and it was like, I'm all over the place with this thing, because I never drove, any, drove anything like that. And I remember one place in particular in, in uh, Largo, Florida, Starkey Road, had this stretch of two-lane road with this big ditch where all the water would run during those big rainstorms they had, and nothing, no guardrail. You could just drive right off into this ditch, and you'd disappear forever in a watery grave there along the side of the road. That's what I imagined. And my mom had nerves of steel. She took me down that road, and I'm like this, all the way down the road, hover, you know, just getting so close to the edge. But I wanted so much to drive. Finally, on August 22nd, 1970, my 16th birthday, I was back at the DMV, don't you know, taking my road test and passing it. 
After that, I started bugging my parents every chance I got to let me drive for any reason possible. Mom, did you forget something? Do you need me to run an errand? Does anybody need a ride anywhere? You get the picture. Anticipation. Anticipation is a big deal. It is a powerful thing. And hope, when it is realized, is even sweeter. We need to know that anticipation, faith, and hope go hand in hand. We have a God who loves to make promises. He loves to say ahead of time what he's going to do so that we can anticipate that outcome, so we can anticipate a good thing that he's about ready to bring. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we can think about someday God is going to do what he has promised because we've always seen him fulfill his promises in the past. And the reason he does that is he wants us to to know what he's doing, to see what he's doing, to trust what he's doing, and be able to live in peace and security. There is no need for us in this life, whatever our circumstances, to live in fear and anxiety where so many people are living today, maybe some of us. But there's no need for that because God says, I'm going to give you promises. I'm going to fulfill those promises and you can trust me. And you can live in anticipation and in fear faith, and in love, and in hope. Uh, So I hope that's your experience. Well, God's first promise of a Messiah goes back to Adam and Eve. You know that this has been a story that's been building up for a long time, back in the Garden of Eden. Even though they sinned against God, God didn't abandon them. And when Adam and Eve were kind of, you know, taken to task, held accountable for what they had done in that paradise, God also gave them with the curse a promise promise that someday her seed would overcome Satan forever. He would defeat Satan forever. And since then, God has been making many promises about that, and he has been fulfilling them. He has been saying the Messiah would be like this. Mike read a powerful passage from Isaiah today that helps us see that Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of that. As my Bible class has been going through this month uh, at nine o'clock, we've been looking at Over 300 prophecies about Christ, about the Messiah, that Jesus fulfilled. It's impossible that anybody else could have fulfilled that many. But every one of them falls in line as we see the story of Jesus unfold. Don't you think we can trust God with our lives if he can do that? Don't you think that God is able to take care of you and me if he could do that through all these centuries? 700 years before Jesus came into the world as a baby born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary, Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And and I want to read that again, but this time let's get into this kind of this time frame. We're going to act as if we've never heard this before. Can you imagine the first time this is spoken and it's like, huh, what? What's going to happen? Let me repeat it again. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. Really? And will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That means God with us. What is this about? What is going to happen? Centuries before Jesus came as the light of the world. Isaiah said in Isaiah 9-2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the, the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Another prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah 9-6-7. 
says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Long before, 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, before he came to rule in his own kingdom, prediction is made, telling us the scope, the depth, the breadth, the importance, the position that Jesus would have. At just the right time, in the right way, God himself came into the world as one of us so that he could redeem us by his grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How important is anticipation? How important is it for us to wait expectantly for God? How important are our hopes and dreams of good things to come? I think they are very important. Sometimes they can be life-saving. Mary and Joseph all certainly had hopes and dreams, didn't they? They thought about their future life together. Their marriage was an arranged one, but they were looking forward to getting married. They had been betrothed to each other for probably a year. Plans were being made for their wedding ceremony. Mary was getting with her mother and friends to plan her part of the ceremony, the marriage feast. Joseph was off putting the finishing touches on the house where they would live once they were married, the house that he would bring his new wife to. Just think of the excitement. Think of the anticipation over that time period of a year or more. Many good things that they were anticipating in their life together. They both thought they had a pretty good idea what to expect. I mean, they'd grown up in the same little town. They saw how other couples did it. They expected it would be a similar story to that. But God had a very different story, didn't he? Kind of like those first graders. <laughs> and the doctor comes out and says, Joseph, you have a God. What? <laughs> Even before Jesus was born, their lives were drastically changed. Their neighbors and friends questioned their character. After Jesus was born, their lives got even more strange, more different than they ever expected. With each passing year, Mary and Joseph wondered more and more what their son Jesus would be and do. Could you imagine raising Jesus as your son? That would have changed your life, right? Uh, I think so. Joseph died without actually seeing the fulfillment of God's plans completely, but Mary, Mary continued. And she's with her son all the way through his death, burial, and resurrection. And even into the early days of the church, we see Mary as part of this story unfolding through years and years of time. Can you imagine all that Mary saw and felt and experienced as she watched her son grow up? What she dreamed as a young teenager paled in comparison to what God actually did for her did in her life. And even though her life was very hard at times, anticipation, faith, and hope in God steadied her life, steadied her life from the first to the last. Can we learn from that? I think so. You remember when Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus to the temple to be named and circumcised at just eight days old? We read about this in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. 
There's this old righteous man named Simeon there. And he was another person who had learned to anticipate good things from God. God had promised Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. He anticipated the day that God would show him the Messiah, and now he's an old man. I mean, he's been waiting a long time already. He had waited his entire life for this promise to be fulfilled, and then suddenly it was. As Mary and Joseph entered the temple grounds, Simeon recognized the baby Jesus as the Messiah God had promised him. Simeon may have imagined prior to this that he would see a full-grown Messiah. You know, he'd see this man come on the scene of Israel's history and just do radical, unbelievable things. But no, when he saw the Messiah, very different. It's this pretty much helpless infant, somebody else's arms, coming into the temple. But there's no doubt. No doubt in Simeon's mind that this baby was the Messiah God had promised to send. And so he took up the baby Jesus in his own arms, and he praised God loudly, Luke tells us. And to Mary and Joseph, he spoke words of revelation about the Son of God. And he informed Mary and Joseph of what was to come, even the heartache that would come. And these promises just grew their anticipation all the more because they wondered what to look for as Jesus grew up and Simeon told them some of what to see. Jesus lived in anticipation of what his father would do every day, and he taught his disciples to do the same. He said, watch and pray. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He told his disciples that no one knows the hour when the Son of Man will return. Therefore, keep watch, he said. The disciples struggled to believe at first, but eventually they came to believe that, that God always does what he has promised to do. And eventually all of them, except, of course, Judas Iscariot, gave their lives for what they believed in, what they had anticipated and what they found to be true. In Jesus. God moved powerfully in Jesus' life because Jesus expected him to. You know, every day he's, he's with the Father in prayer, and every day he's dedicating each new day to God and saying, God, whatever you're doing here, I want to be part of that. Just use me, uh, move me. And so God moved powerfully in Jesus' life, and he will move powerfully in our lives as well when we expect him to. But if there's no expectation, then there's very little movement. And so we need to trust him implicitly and completely. We need to anticipate. We need to wait expectantly for what God will do next, no matter how long we may have to wait. And sometimes it may be a while. Jesus told a story about ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom to show up for the wedding feast. Five of them were prepared to wait a long time. Five of them were not. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and the foolish virgins ran out of oil in their lamps. So they had to run to the market to get some more. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came. And the door was locked tight. And because they were not prepared, they missed the wedding feast. Are we waiting? <laughs> Good question. Are we anticipating? 
Are we hoping and trusting for the Lord to come and to make good on his promises to us? Well, we should, because we have no reason not to be waiting, expecting, anticipating. Jesus said in Luke 12, 35, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait in them. It's just amazing. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, Jesus said, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And I know that passage refers to the second coming of Christ. Will we be ready for that? Will we be looking for that? And even today, are we looking for what he's doing today? Mary and Joseph learned to trust God no matter where they found themselves. They learned that God is faithful to the promises he has made. So they lived their lives in anticipation that God would do whatever he promised to do. And we must do the same. We can get caught up in our circumstances. We can get caught up in our troubles. We can be depressed and discouraged. And we can think, you know, there's no way out of this. There's no way this is going to turn out well. But we have a God who has made promises to us, and he has made good on those promises every time. And this story of Jesus coming is a great example. Our long-awaited Savior came. He came at just the right time in just the right way. He fulfilled all of these prophecies because God knew what he was doing, and God did exactly what he said he would do. He came to redeem anyone who calls on his name in faith. And that's us. And our lives are to be lived in the perspective of an eternity where God is in charge. God is doing what he has promised to do for us in Christ. And so we can trust God to make good on his promises. We can trust him that he will never leave us, never abandon us, and that he will always provide what we need. And when God moves... When God intervenes, when God does whatever God chooses to do, don't expect Him to always move in miraculous, astounding ways. Now, He may part the waters. He may calm the raging sea. Or He just may move in smaller, less miraculous ways. But move, He will. Fulfill His promises, He will. And He will accomplish His purpose Every single time, no matter what man says or does. Those who anticipate, those who trust him for his promises will see him come through at just the right time, in just the right way. His ways are mysterious, but perfect. So trust him. He will not fail. Just ask Mary and Joseph. Just ask Simeon. They were given a baby. God with us, and his name was Jesus. He came to save the world. Let's pray.
Oh, God. In our lives, when we forget, when we are distracted, when we are overwhelmed by our circumstances, lift up our eyes once again. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Thank you, God, for being a God who gives promises, who makes prophecies, who says what you're going to do before you do it, and then you fulfill every one of them. God, we're not guessing. We're not just hoping for something foolish with no expectation of success because we have a God who makes promises and keeps every one of them. We have a God who has made promises to us as his children, as followers of his son, Jesus. And we need to live with expectation and anticipation of those promises being fulfilled. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the encouragement we receive from your word today and from this wonderful, wonderful story of Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen us today in faith, in anticipation, and in hope that we would trust you every day with our lives and that we would trust you with our eternity. And if there's someone here, Lord, that has not yet done that, may they make the decision to surrender themselves to you, to to give themselves to you in trust and obedience. We pray this today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.